So we're going to read from Psalm 121 today. Psalm 121 is a song of ascents. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. So if we're, uh, we belong to the Lord, then we can claim that promise for ourselves. The Lord will watch over us. He'll keep us. And he'll, he'll never lead us anywhere that he can't get us out of or where we're not supposed to be if we'll just follow, if we'll follow him and uh, walk in his commandments. All right, so we're going to worship the Lord with some song. But first, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Oh, 
Now's the time in the service for communion. If this is your first time here, you should have received a communion packet with a wafer and juice when you first came in the door. If not, there's some back there on the table by the offering box. If you are a baptized believer, we invite you to partake in communion with us today. Today we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from that... For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. The renowned church father Tertullian in the year 207 AD wrote about the Lord's Supper saying, he or Jesus declared plainly enough what he meant by the bread. When he called the bread his own body, he likewise, when mentioning the cup, and making the New Testament to be sealed in his blood affirm the reality of his body. By saying the bread represents his body, and his blood is the new covenant, Christ confirmed that his body was indeed the sacrifice for our sins. By partaking of this communion, we acknowledge that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he was sacrificed so that we will live in eternity with God our Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us here safely. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and sacrificing your body so that we may live. Bless this communion, and if we've fallen short of your word, forgive us and reveal it to us so we can repent for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Now is the time in the service for announcements. 
Um, we're always collecting empty pill bottles um, for Matthew 25 Ministries. Um, they take them for local um, disasters. They take them for medical uh, things, and they also will take them internationally. We also collect used ink cartridges. It helps to reduce the office supplies uh, cost here at the church. Um, there are plastic bins in the foyer where you can place those things. Food pantry closed closet is every Thursday, 5 to 7. Um, here are some most frequently needed items listed here. Um, we will also take donations on Thursdays from 5 to 7. We're, we're on a standstill for clothes right now, but um, if you wanted to donate any of these uh, items, that would be great. Refit free dance fitness class every Tuesday and Thursday from 6.30 to 7.30. Takes place right here in the sanctuary. If you have any questions, you can contact Kristen. Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry is the fourth Sunday of every month. Um, we've done May, June, July so far. It's really been a blessing to the residents over there, um, and I would hope it's a blessing to you too. If you're interested in just trying it even for one month, you don't have to commit to any other time, um, but month to month, there's a sign-up in the back welcome table. So the next one will be August 27th. Um, HTC Weekly Community Cookout. So we finished up uh, July cookout last week, I'm sorry, yesterday at... Um, Lakeshore Estates. We are going to be moving into August starting next Saturday at Fay Gardens. So we'll meet here at the church at 1. Um, and if you have any questions, you can contact Chris in the back. My favorite day of the whole year. <laughs> Goshen Ready Fest 2022 is happening today. Thank you for everyone who's prayed about this day, who have um, brought in supplies, who have given us resources, contacts, um, and who will be helping today. Don't feel like you can't do anything to serve. There's always something somebody can do at every age. No matter what your abilities are, we'll find a place for you. Um, but this is happening today, and um, I'm super excited because we ha probably have about 400 students registered. So we, this is the day that we connect with, we unite with other churches in Goshen, and every student and family will touch every single table, which means they're touching, you know, um, They're being introduced to Jesus in so many ways today. So I'm super excited. National Night Out kind of got off my mind with everything going on today, but it is this Wednesday, August 3rd from 5.30 to 8.30. We are um, handing out snow cones, and we have someone coming to do balloon animals. So if you are available that uh, Wednesday coming up, uh, let us know. We will need some help that night. And that's at um, the Goshen High School. Empty Nesters Bible Study will be resuming on September 1st, Thursdays, 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's house. If you have questions, you want to join, um, there is a book that is required, but there's no charge for it. So let Sharon Ponchot know by August 21st. Breakfast is better when we eat together. Um, Breakfast Fellowship is the first Sunday of every month, so next Sunday at 9.30. Uh, Carol Hankins is the contact for this. Um, it is going to be a surprise where it's going to be held. So just come and we'll tell you where it is. <laughs> offerings and tithes, tithes and offerings. Um, you can give in person in the back of the offering box in the back of the sanctuary. You can give online as well. Weekly budget is listed there. Ministries that um, you support through your giving here at Heartland are listed here. And there's a um, flyer in the foyer also. That's all I have. Thank you so much. So uh, today we're going to continue our series in uh, going through Paul's letter to the saints in Colossae. You know, hopefully you spent some time last week absorbing this letter, soaking yourself in this letter as well as Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And you might wonder why I want you to read both of those letters together. Well, many reasons, but those letters are so similar to one another. And Ephesians expands on Colossians in many ways. So by reading both of those letters together, we get a fuller picture of the gospel of Christ's kingdom. So as we study Colossians, let's keep reading these letters over and over until we know them by heart, until they become a part of us, and then let's keep obeying these letters because it does us no good to hear the word without doing it. Let's keep obeying these letters until our lives are transformed and conformed to the way of Christ that he commands us in these letters. So let's turn together in our Bibles today to Colossians chapter 2. Sorry, chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 3 through 6. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. And when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the title of today's teaching is, Thank God. 
In Colossians 1, 3 through 6, the scriptures say, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Are you thankful to God? You know, the phrase give thanks in connection with thanking God appears over and over in the scriptures. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we're encouraged to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So God's will for us is that we give thanks to him in all circumstances. God both desires and deserves our gratitude in good times and bad times, on the mountains and in the valleys, in times of prosperity and times of poverty, we always have so much for which we can thank God. Now, God always provides for our needs, and he gives us so many blessings. And one of the main ways God does those things is through his people. And in our passage today, Paul reminds us of at least three reasons God's people should give thanks to God for God's people. So what we'll talk about today, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, for your truth. And as the Lord Jesus prayed, we pray now, make us holy by your truth, as you give us both the will and the ability to hear and obey the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we talk about why we should thank God for his people, let's first look at a lesson we learned from Paul's prayer life. In Colossians 1.3, Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So Paul was constantly praying to God for God's people. And Paul did not pray to just any God. No, Paul prayed to the one true God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was always praying to God the Father for God's people. And Paul says this several more times in this letter. In Colossians 1.9, Paul says, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. In Colossians 2.1, Paul says, I want you to know how hard I am contending in prayer for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Notice those words. We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God, I am contending in prayer for you. See, Paul knew the power of prayer. So Paul was always praying for all of God's people. Now, last week I pointed out that Paul told people to watch him and imitate his way of life in Christ. And such a huge part of Paul's way of life in Christ is the persistent practice of prayer. And if we are going to imitate Paul's prayer life, then we've got to do what Paul says in Colossians 4 too. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, do we fully understand the importance of staying watchful in prayer? Do we fully understand what God could accomplish through us if we would persistently practice prayer? Prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes people. And when we cannot do anything else, we can always pray. But that does not mean that prayer should be our last resort. Instead, prayer should always be our first response to every circumstance. Because the weakest member of the church becomes a mighty warrior with the power to move mountains when we approach God's throne of grace in prayer. And this is why James encourages us in James 5, 13 through 16. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
The prayer of the saints, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer has the power to ease suffering. Prayer has the power to heal people from spiritual and physical sickness. Prayer has the power to save us from our sins. And every righteous person has access to the indescribable power of prayer. That power is available to all of us who are righteous. But to access that power, we've all got to get past the inescapable problem with prayer. What is the problem? Well, prayer is not easy. If prayer were easy, we would have no problem doing it. We wouldn't need people to constantly encourage us, these constant reminders in the scriptures, to keep watching, keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Prayer is not easy. But who said the Christian life was supposed to be easy? Maybe modern false teachers as well as ancient false teachers, they, they, they claim the Christian life was easy. But that's certainly not the message of the Scriptures. But Jesus said the gate that leads to life is narrow and the way is difficult. Jesus also said all who want to be his disciples must take up our own cross daily and follow him. And that cross includes being persistent in prayer. Consistent, deliberate prayer is not easy. It's difficult because it takes discipline. But it's a discipline that we've all got to learn if we're going to live to please God. We must devote our lives to the practice of prayer. So we've got to learn to treat prayer like it's the most essential task that we do each and every day. Because if we're children of God, then prayer is the most essential task we'll do each and every day. We cannot live a consistent Christian life if we do not have a persistent prayer life. We've got to pray, not just for ourselves, but for everyone, just like Paul did. That's part of the priesthood of all believers. You know that the scriptures call us priests. We're a kingdom of priests. Kingdom of God is a kingdom of priests. And as a kingdom of priests, we're called to offer prayers to God on behalf of others. So we need to answer that call. Let's devote ourselves to prayer. No matter the opposition, because when we set our minds toward it, that I'm going to pray, opposition always comes. But no matter the opposition, let's discipline ourselves to be persistent in praying for ourselves, praying for God's people, praying for our family and friends, praying for our government leaders, especially those we think are not doing such a great job. Instead of complaining about the job they're doing, how about we pray for our government leaders as the scriptures tell us to do? Praying for the world. Let's dedicate ourselves to approaching God's throne of grace with confidence several times a day. And when we do approach God in prayer, let's expect that God will hear us and answer our prayers. Let's expect our prayers to be powerful and effective. Let's expect God to change things, to change people, to change the world through our prayers. See, that's what Paul did. Paul had a pro prolific prayer life that we all should imitate. And part of Paul's prayer was his constant thanksgiving to God for God's people. So let's look now at three reasons Paul gave thanks to God for God's people. Three reasons that we should thank God for his people. First, we should thank God for the faith of God's people. In Colossians 1.4, Paul says, He and Timothy thank God because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. That Paul was so thankful whenever anyone heard the gospel of the kingdom and responded to the gospel by putting their faith in Christ Jesus. And that's what all of God's people should want. We should want to see the entire world come to faith in Christ. But let's talk for a minute about what that means. What does it mean to come to faith in Christ Jesus? Well, first it means we need to be sure that we believe in the real Jesus. Because there are countless counterfeits floating around in the so-called Christian culture. So many ideas about who Jesus is, what Jesus is like, and what Jesus expects from us. But there's only one real Jesus. And the scriptures, as interpreted by the saints in the church, tell us who Jesus is and what Jesus expects from us. And you might ask, well, why do we need the saints in the church to interpret the scriptures? 
Shouldn't we all just be able to pick up the scriptures, read them for ourselves, and figure out what they all mean? Well, the reason we need the church to interpret scripture is every false teacher since the first century has used the scriptures to try to prove their false ideas about who Jesus is. What I should say is they misuse the scriptures to try to prove their ideas about who Jesus is. See, they've read the scriptures for themselves and come to all kinds of false conclusions about Jesus. And that still happens today. False teachers twist the scriptures to mean what they want them to teach about Christ. So we need the church to be the referee that blows the whistle when someone interprets the scriptures in a way that's not in line with the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints in the church. Because as Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.15, the church of the living God is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And as Paul says in Ephesians 4.11 through 13, it's in the church that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The church upholds the truth. The church teaches the true faith and leads us to a true knowledge of God's Son. So to believe in the real Jesus, we've got to believe in the Jesus that the church reveals to us through the Scriptures. And the church tells us that the Scriptures teach the real Jesus claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus claimed to be our Lord and our Savior. Jesus claimed to be the only way to God the Father. But Jesus didn't just make these claims. Jesus proved he is who he claimed to be by rising from the grave. See, the real Jesus is the anointed king of God's eternal kingdom. He's the divine human son of God, son of the living God. He's our Lord and our Savior and the only one who can lead us to the Father because it's through our union with Jesus Christ that we're brought to the Father. See, those are the facts about who the real Jesus is. But simply believing those facts about Jesus, well, that does not mean that we've come to faith in Jesus. See, if we truly believe that Jesus is God's divine son and the anointed king of God's kingdom and that Jesus is the only way to eternal life with God the Father, well, then we'll submit to Jesus and obey Jesus as our king. And that's what it means to have faith in Christ Jesus. If he's not the king of our life, then he's not a part of our life. As Paul puts it in Colossians 2, 5 through 7, though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The Christian faith is built on the firm foundation that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we must not only believe he is Lord, we must receive him as our Lord. And then we must continue to live the Christian life submitting to Jesus as our Lord. So to have faith in Christ Jesus, it means that we recognize Jesus as the king of God's eternal kingdom. We submit to Jesus as the king of our lives. And we strive to live a godly life through God's grace as we obey our king's commands. But Paul was thankful to hear that the Colossians had that kind of faith in Christ Jesus. And he thanked God for the faith of God's people. And we should do the same. We should thank God when people hear the gospel of God's kingdom and they believe that Jesus is the king of that kingdom and they receive Jesus as their king. They turn away from their lawless lives and give Jesus complete control of everything. We should be thankful because every time that happens, another precious person is rescued from the kingdom of darkness and relocated to the kingdom of light. Another precious person is being recreated in the image of God. Another precious person is freed from the addiction of sin and is given the hope of a new life now and of eternal life in Christ's eternal kingdom. So with Paul... Let's thank God for the faith of God's people. Let's also thank God for God's people for a second reason. Thank God for the love of God's people. Now, the second part of Colossians 1.4, it 
Paul tells the saints at Colossae that he and Timothy are thankful because we have heard of the love you have for all God's people. If we're children of God, then we will have a love for all of God's people. This is not a natural love. It's a supernatural love. It's a love that's produced in God's children by God's spirit. As Paul says in Colossians 1.8, Epaphras also told us about the love you have from the Holy Spirit. So when we're born again and become children of God, the Holy Spirit fills us with the love of God. The love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And he radically changes our hearts. He cuts out the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And that new heart, it beats with a deep love for God's people. Now, the people we once had no desire to be around, or they become our dear brothers and sisters in Christ. People we used to hate are now people that we want to hug. People we used to avoid are now people, we, people that we adore. And this is because we all have a supernatural love given to us from the Spirit of God. And like Paul, we ought to thank God every time we hear about the love our brothers and sisters in Christ have for us or for his people. Because it's God's love that drives his people to pray for us. It's God's love that drives God's people to be patient with us, that drives God's people to be kind, to be compassionate, and to do good to us. It's God's love that drives God's people to lay down their lives for us and to treat us how they want to be treated. Every good thing God's people do for one another and for everyone else we do because of God's love. So let's thank God for God's, for the faith of God's people and for the love of God's people. And finally, let's thank God for a third reason. Thank God for the hope of God's people. Paul, in uh, first Colossians, sorry, in Colossians, start over. In Colossians 1, 5, Paul describes the faith and love of God's people as the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So we all need hope right now, right? Your neighbor needs hope. Your coworkers need hope. Everyone you see this week, everyone you come into contact with, they need hope. And the good news is we as Christians can thank our God and Father that he's given us a glorious hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a living hope in a living Lord and Savior, a hope that's stored up for us in heaven. And Paul tells us what this hope is in Colossians 1.27. Paul says our hope is the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Think about that for a minute. The hope of glory is the hope of the riches God's faithful people will inherit in the glorious kingdom of God's Son. We'll share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, right now, as Christ lives in us and among us in the church, We're receiving some of the riches of the blessings of Christ's kingdom in this present age. But in the age to come, our hope will be fully realized. When Christ appears in glory, we who are faithful followers of Christ, we will also appear with him in glory. And when that happens, the scriptures tell us we will be like him because we will see him as he is. When the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdom of our God and of the Messiah, and he reigns forever and ever. But we who have faithfully followed Christ will reign with him. And here's good news for us as well. Our loved ones who have gone on to meet the Lord before us, well, they're going to be there too. We'll all get new and glorious bodies, bodies that never go bald. Bodies that never get sick. I don't have anything else to say about it. We're going to get these glorious bodies. Bodies like Christ's glorious body. See, those and many other blessings are part of the hope of glory that we have in Christ. And notice in Colossians 1.5, Paul tells us where we hear about this hope. He says, this, this is the hope about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. The word gospel, it means good news. God's people have good news to tell the whole world. Through the message of the gospel, God calls everyone to come out of the kingdom of darkness, to come out of living a life that's ruled by Satan and sinful passions, a life that ends in misery and eternal death. Come out of that life and enter into and inherit the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's Son, 
Because in this kingdom, we find the only way to a new life in this world and to eternal life in the world to come. In the kingdom of God, Satan and sin are no longer our masters. In the kingdom of God, our past is erased, our sins taken away. And listen to this. We become a new person with a new nature when we're united with Christ in baptism. Too many of us walk around as if that person we were is still alive. They died. They were buried with Christ. We rise to live a new life. We're new people with a new nature. And at least two of you are excited about that. (laughs) And when the kingdom of God, as we learn to love God and love our neighbors ourselves by serving one another, we're becoming like God in true righteousness and holiness. And here's what else we're doing. We're laying up treasures for ourselves in a kingdom that will last forever in the coming age. You know, we see things every day that remind us how fragile the things in this world are and how fragile our own lives are. Things people spend many years building can be wiped out in a matter of minutes. Our lives can be cut short at any time, and all our plans in this world will come to nothing. So building our lives on and pinning our hopes to the things of this world It's like building a house on sinking sand. It doesn't take much for it all to come crashing down. So we need to be sure that we build our lives on a more sure hope. We need a hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And thank God that we have such a hope. And this hope is stored up for us in the kingdom of heaven. Thank God that when Christ comes again in glory, we who faithfully follow Jesus will be richly rewarded for everything that we did in the name of the Lord. Nothing you and I did will ever be forgotten by the Lord. Every little thing that we do, a cup of cold water given to someone in the name of Christ will be rewarded in that eternal kingdom. That glorious hope is ours through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as God's people, let's keep reminding ourselves, our hope is not in this world. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Our hope is the hope of glory. Our hope is stored up for us in heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Our hope is that when Christ, who is our life, appears, we also will appear with him in glory. And what a glorious day that will be. Thank God for the hope of God's people. As we close, we face many difficult days in this world. Things happen. Bad things happen to everybody, right? But as God's people, let's not allow ourselves to become disillusioned or discouraged or discontent. Let's turn our attention away from the fleeting things we can see and focus on the forever things that we cannot see. Let's focus on giving thanks to God. Thank God for the faith of God's people. Thank God for the love of God's people. Thank God for the hope of God's people. For those and 10,000 more reasons, let's follow Paul's pattern and let's continue to thank God. And let's all stand for Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Everything we have is a gracious gift from the hands of a good and gracious Father. In a world that's so dark, help us to keep our eyes on the light, to walk in the light and be witnesses to the world of what it looks like when people follow Christ and live in his kingdom on earth. In Jesus' name we ask. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
Mercy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 